today for the the meditation or the devotion, I want to I'm going to pull this from a, a Bible study that a small a group of us in church are are working off. It's it's on it's on integrity, and there was one section of that that talked about um, being sifted of God. And so I, I've kind of kind of pulled from that text, and and I would title this, you know, when we are sifted, um, and. I'm sure many of you have heard kind of the statement that's, you know, people will say it's kind of the, the traditional good Christian response is, you know, Satan's temptations are an opportunity for us to receive God's strength and grace. And I've heard people say that to me um, in a number of times in my life. And it's, it's always in those times when I'm struggling that I, I don't know about you, but I, I have a really hard time accepting that because it, it just, it's almost like it seems life isn't fair and what's going on. And, you know, sometimes the things that will go through my head is, well, what have I done to deserve this? Why, why is this all happening to me? And, and the scripture I'd like to look at this morning is in Luke 22, um, verses 31 and 32. And this is where Jesus is, is talking to disciples, and he specifically tells Peter, he says that Satan has demanded permission, essentially, to sift the disciples as we. So he's kind of addressing all the disciples, but he specifically talks to Peter here. And, um, it, you know, we, it might seem kind of strange here, but that, that Satan would come before God and, and have a conversation about those of us here on the earth, but, but it really is a reality, and we're kind of given up this as an example in the book of Job. Um, in first chapter of Job, um, we know the story how Satan comes before God, and God brings Job up as an example. And God makes several really good points about Job. He says, there's none like him on the earth. He's perfect. He's upright. He fears God, um, and then he ends with, he, he says he escheweth evil, or he shuns, or rejects it. And when we look at this list, um, who of us would really want to, I mean, I think we'd all want to be described that way, but there's probably times when we would look at that list and feel pretty intimidated, and would have maybe a hard time placing ourselves kind of in that same place as Job. Um, but I think what God is, is doing is he's sort of illustrating to us that this is who his people are. Is there people that trust him? They are, they are men that are willing to serve him. And I think he's making the point to Satan is, you know, you may believe you have control on the earth and you're going up and down and you're corrupting what I've created. But at the same time, there are still men there who are willing to follow me. And so we find Satan's responses and following that. And he, he essentially blames God for the fact that Job's good. He says, well, you protected him. You blessed his substance and the work of his hands. And if you wouldn't have interfered in this, Job would be just like everybody else. He would just follow me and he would, he would reject God. But I think that comes to the fact of what Satan doesn't know about those of us who have turned to him. And that is the fact that we don't serve God because of what we get. We serve him because we love him. We serve him because of what he's done for us and how, he, how he's provided for us. And again, while this story of Job proceeds where you know, Jesus is talking to the disciples and he talks about salvation, um, we do know that the character of God hasn't changed. It's it stayed the same over time, and he wants to redeem us. He wants to bring us to him, and he also understands our hearts. He understands who we really are, and so that, that enables, enables him to make such a bold statement about Job, and, and I believe also about us, um, and we, if God and Satan have these conversations yet today, which I believe they do. So if we go later in the story into chapter two, we find Satan comes back before God, and the conversation again goes back to Job, and this time, God adds an additional descriptor on the end. So he, he repeats those first five points, but then he adds one more, and he says, he holdeth fast his integrity, 
although thou movest me against him in order to destroy him without a cause. And again, we see this idea that God still knows Job's heart. He still knows Job's willing to trust him, even though Satan has caused God to, to sort of sift or um, kind of test Job. So let's make this personal for just a minute. I don't know if you've ever thought about this. Does, does God and Satan have this discussion about us? Um, and again, we might, like I mentioned, we might not want to put ourselves in that same category. But as believers and saints, we really are like Job. And as we apply this to our lives, um, sometimes, at least for me, I expect attacks from Satan. But a lot of times when I don't expect them is when things are going really, really well. So if we look at Job, look at Job's life before the attack came. He had sons and daughters. He had herds and flocks. He had a seat in leadership in the city. Um, he was living comfortably. And then out of the clear blue sky came this, without a warning, came this sort of test that he went through. And I often think that sometimes it's, it's when those times in our lives when it feels like things are going really well, um, our lives kind of seem under control, that we tend to let our guard down just a bit and Satan moves in. Think about, we, we started here talking about Peter. Think about Peter. Um, you know, he was quick to boast of his loyalty to Jesus before the Passover. And a few hours later, he was denying him. And so a perfect example of where Satan targets us in a way that, that uh, maybe we're most vulnerable, even though we won't think of it that way because we're, everything's are going fairly well. Um, and Satan comes there with the effort to kind of destroy our lives and our integrity and it, in, as a way to try to mar that character of God. Now, going back to, to the verses here in Luke, as Jesus compared the disciples to wheat, um, you know, it's sifted it through a vigorous shaking that separates the chaff from the kernel. And God knows Satan wants to shake our faith. But as that shaking starts, God uses that as a way to sort of um, sift us and purify our faith. And in verse 32, Jesus continues on. He says, but I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brother. Maybe we could say it this way. If I take a little bit of liberty with this text. It's when you've come through the sifting, help and encourage others. Think about this for a moment. Jesus knows that we're going to be sifted. He knows how Satan works. He, even though he, he doesn't stop the attack, he loves us enough to pray to the Father that we can continue on. And if we think of Peter's example, we know he denied the Lord. He fled from the crucifixion. He didn't fully believe in the garden that Jesus arose. Um, he went back to his old life of fishing. And in John 21, we see that Jesus forgave him. And he came back to him and said, feed my sheep. He said that three different times, but his instructions to Peter was to go on. And, and we find that Peter from that point on was really transformed as he understood that. Is he became one of the most powerful preachers in the church. It was Peter that gave that first sermon at Pentecost. It was Peter that healed the lame man at the beautiful gate. It was Peter who was imprisoned and beaten and eventually crucified. And in the process, he left us an example in, in Acts of how we are to preach and live in the presence of persecution and then the two letters that he gave to the churches he, that bear his name, he gave us further instruction on how we are to live and how we are to be prepared. So Peter was tried, and he came through by the grace of God and the prayers of Jesus. And as he came through that, he was stripped of his pride and was able to lead many on to Christ. So, And we think, if we go back to the book of Job, we see that not only was his possessions and children returned, but Job kind of gained back things as God, God blessed him again. Now, again, I'm not saying God's going to make everything right. We might not see it happen in our lifetime, but there is a blessing that comes as we go through this sifting. So how do we respond to some of these trials? And you know, all of us have something we're struggling with. It's maybe health or unsafe family or wayward children or employment. I mean, I could go on and on. The list is great. And if we ask everyone on this call, we're going to get a different answer. 
But I, I think it, no matter how difficult that trial is, we these two scriptures, both in Job and Peter, should kind of encourage us to continue on trusting in God. Um, we can have confidence he's going to deliver us. And we, have, we can also have the belief that God is going to do us good. Um, it might not be like exactly how we think. It might not happen in the time we want. Um, we may not act, actually even see it in our life. Some of these things happen years and years later. But we can trust knowing that God's going to provide. And why is that? It's because Jesus not only saved us, but he prayed for us. Jesus took us before the Father. He took us there and asked God to help us. So as we come through these moments, there's a couple of practical things I think we can do. First, and, and some of you on here do this really, really well, we need to look for ways to encourage others. Um, just as Jesus encouraged Peter, he didn't come back and condemn him for what he did wrong. He encouraged him to go on. Okay, the past is, is done. Let's go on. This is what I need you to do. And so let's look for opportunities to share what God's done in our lives, share how he's brought us through, because there are people that we interact with that can really gain from that. Um, I, I really think it's a wonderful way to share the gospel when we can tell what God's done in our lives. We have examples that people can relate to. It's that human touch. And then secondly, let's not forget to bring others before God in prayer. You know, Jesus set the example. He didn't pray for his disciples when they were in the trial. He prayed for them before. You know, I think it's pretty easy for us to start praying for, for things when, when they're wrong. You know, our, our family member gets sick. It brings, us, brings them to our mind. But do we do as Jesus set the example here? Do we pray knowing that they're going to be tested, knowing that they're going to be tried? Um, and, and it's those, who did he pray for? He prayed for those that were close to, it, to him. He prayed for his disciples. And I think we can also infer from that he's praying for us as children. So um, as we go through this, let's, let's just encourage you to keep persevering on as, as, we, as you go through that trying and that, that portion of your life that seems hard, remembering again that what Christ did for us, not only did he die, but he did pray for us and he brought us to the Father in order to preserve us for his reunion.